Gracious God, as we come now to consider all the words that Lester had to say to us and all the words that you will say to us through the words you've given to me, help us to understand better how our presence affects everyone, how the each others and the one togethers and all the words that are in the Bible are all about being in community and how we can be in community with one another. To pour into this time now we have together, in Jesus Christ's name we pray and ask for the blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon us. And the people of God said together, Amen. As most of us know, the, the name Halloween means All Hallows Eve. Hallow means holy or All Saints Eve. Both occasions address the same things, though they do it in different ways. Both occasions are concerned with the hope of life beyond the grave. Choosing the side of the angels. Courage in a scary universe. All Saints approaches these themes with triumphant joy. Halloween deals with them through mischievous humor. Saints are people who aren't afraid to live with both the gruesome and the glorious. But what truly makes a saint? Is it what they did? Or did they have extraordinary courage or special powers? Or is it really the fact that they were present and listening to the will of God and willing to risk for the family of God? If that is the case, we can all be saints. Paul seemed to think we were all saints. He called the Ephesians saints in chapter 4 when he talks about equipping the saints for the work of ministry. He speaks of a rich inheritance in chapter 1. You are his inheritance, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It is that power and love that can make each one of us a saint. You know saints in your life. And in Good Shepherd has known many saints in its life. I believe we heard from one of them today. And when I read the history of our church, it seems to me that saints are people who are willing to be present and active and faithful in the life of the church family. And that is part of the generous life we've been talking about over the last several weeks through our service, our prayers, and our witness. And the question we have to ask is, do we have generosity in our presence? In other words, are we committed to showing up and being a part of the Christian community on more than Sundays? Do we believe in the importance of Christians getting together on a regular basis for intentional prayer, for Bible study, for mutual support? You see, as Christians, we were never meant to experience the Christian life on our own, but rather in community with each other. We learned that several years ago through one of my favorite movies, The Way. And the tagline for that movie was, say it with me, Life is too big to walk it alone. It is. In fact, many aspects of the Christian life cannot be put into practice On our own. I mean, guess how many one another commands there are in the Bible. And those of you on the YouVersion app right now, I'm not putting the answers in anymore, so you can't see that. You have to add your... In your notes, you can add your own answers, so later on you can answer it. Guess how many one another commands there are in the Bible. Give me a number. Twelve. One-fifty. 32, give me one more, 7, and 57, is that what I heard, 57, 7, 57? There are actually more than 50, 50 commands. A few, for example, love one another, John 13, accept one another, Romans 15, be at peace with one another, Mark 9, pray for one another, James 5. Encourage one another daily, Hebrews 3. 
The one thing all these commands have in common is that you cannot put them into practice without one another. We need each other in the body of Christ, like Lester eloquently put it. And so Christian fellowship is an important theme throughout all the scriptures. The book of Hebrews itself was written to Jewish believers who were in danger of turning their backs on the Christian faith and going back to their old ways before Christ. Hebrews tells us so that Christian fellowship is one of the primary resources that God has given us as Christians to help us stand strong in the faith. Iron sharpens iron. A cord of three is not quickly broken. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. John Piper had this quote, and he says, We won't make it on our own. We need each other to cling to Jesus. Amen? So let's take a look at these two commands from Hebrew 10, 24 through 25, and see what they can teach us about the importance of Christian presence. This is the ground zero of understanding Christian presence. The first command that Hebrews 10 gives us is this, motivate one another to love and good works. Motivate one another to love and good works. Look at Hebrews 10.24 in your Bible app in front of you or your Bible as you're looking at things or some other way. There are actually two commands tucked away in this verse. There is the command to consider. And the word translated consider is a word that means to think about it very carefully. It's actually in that particular translation. So when you come across this word in Scripture, we need to pause and think very carefully about whatever it is that comes next to consider. Then the next is the second command of of sparking in that particular translation of it, or to, to hear it this way, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I like the sparking part. It's another one another command. It's... This is not a command that you can keep by yourself, but only in a community with other believers. The word translated sparking or spur on is also translated stir up, motivate, provoke one another. It's a word that usually appears in the negative way. But the main meaning is to have a strong reaction to something. And that's what Hebrews 10.24 is getting at here. When we provoke or spur one another on towards love and good deeds, we're trying to motivate one another forward in our faith. It's too easy to become lazy or complacent in our Christian lives without being challenged and expect that everyone else will take care of the work of the kingdom. That becomes where you hear the 20% of the people do 80% of the work And that means that we end up not showing up and doing much beyond showing up for worship on Sunday mornings. And that is not all that it means to be a Christian. On Wednesday night for our first Haunt the Halls gathering, I was encouraged by the fact that 50 people came out to be present. And they ate dinner, and then we got done with dinner, and they didn't run out the door. And we all went around the church, and in two hours, the entire church was 95% decorated. It was amazing. I have been here in years before where it is five staff who have decorated the entire church all day to get it ready to go. Sunday morning worship is important. It's essential. But as we've talked about before, it is really the starting ground for being involved in church. If it's the sum total of our commitment to Christ, something is missing. If that's all we check off our boxes, I went to church on Sunday morning, that isn't what it means to be a committed Christian. 
What Hebrews 10.24 tells us first is that when we experience true Christian fellowship with each other, then we are motivated in the opportunity to love one another and to do good works. These things don't happen in isolation from other believers, but only when we engage in intentional, purposeful Christian discipleship. Those 50 people who came together worked in teams. They had fun. They got it done. They, they talked to each other. They had those moments. Serving also leads to relationship. Those little funny jokes and things that happen, they create part of who we are. And we remember the times we've served with someone or gone on a mission trip or whatever it might have been. We remember those times. They're intentional, purposeful Christian discipleship. And our whole purpose as a Christian, and and Lester talked about this, is to glorify God by following Jesus and engaging in love and good works and understanding that worship comes from all of those things. That God saved you and me so we could be a blessing to others around us in all that we do and through our presence and our service, not simply to receive a blessing ourselves. Amen? We have been saved from something to something. Not just the from, but the two. So first, we should motivate one another to love and good works. And then second, we should meet together regularly. Command number two is meet together regularly. Look at the other verse of Hebrews 10.25. These two go together. You see it on the screen, a different version says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. You see, this verse encourages us to keep meeting together as believers, and it warns us about not doing this. Because there's a profound truth that some of us have not discovered yet that Lester hit on first thing when he was talking. Like he had read my sermon right before he had gotten and done all this, even though it was done weeks ago, more than likely. You and I need to understand that good shepherd is not the same when we're not here. Good shepherd is not the same when we're not here. You see, we've got it all backwards. We're all focused on whether we're here for ourselves and that sort of thing. But in reality, it's the reverse, as Lester talked about. Good Shepherd is not the same if you are not here. You occupy a unique space in the life of this congregation, whether you think so or not. And when you're not here, you're missed in more ways than one because what you have to offer is not a part of the community of believers. And it makes a big difference. One of the most important habits you will ever develop in life is the holy habit of meeting regularly with other Christians for worship and discipleship. It allows us to encourage each other, to lift each other up, to teach each other, to praise God together. And not meeting as a community is an easy habit to fall into. You miss a Sunday here. You miss a Sunday there. Then all of a sudden you're gone more than you are here. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone and I said, you know, I, you know, I tried to use the word I miss you because that makes everybody feel guilty. But the same time is you've been gone for five weeks. What do I say? I mean, oh, I've been gone for five weeks? Yeah, we're worried about you. We weren't sure what was really going on. We had somebody the other day that we had missed the fact they were gone to California. They've been gone for six weeks. And we just didn't know what happened to them. Did I get a hold of them? Didn't know what was going on? Well, they're in California. They're okay. They're fine. But it happens. Or you don't realize you really missed that three weeks because you, you were so busy you just had any idea that I was just there last week. No, you weren't. Now, we don't want to be legalistic and say it's wrong to ever miss a Sunday morning. That's not the answer either. Don't drag yourself in here if you're, you know, dead sick and, you know, you're just like, I don't want you hacking all over the pews or people or anything like that. Just stay home. You can watch it online, but there is really no excuse not to watch it online if you're not here. It's really easy to do. We've made it so easy to be able to be involved in that. 
But see, most of us don't have a problem with legalism. That's not really our problem. I'm going to do too much of it. Our problem is the exact opposite. If we wait until Sunday morning to decide whether or not we're going to go to church or not, we probably are not going to get there. Amen? You know it. Probably pretty easy to find an excuse not to go. Something's going to happen, you know. Something happened this morning. The power was out, so I couldn't get ready. Or, you know, I had a really rough night on Saturday night. Or, you know, there's like 5,000 other excuses we can all come up with when we want to not do something. But a lot of us in here probably like football, right? Raise your hand if you like football, pro or college. We know you like pro. We know you. We know you. We know you. So you like football. And we watch a lot of football. When we get a ticket to go to the football game we want to go to, we're going to go. That's how it works. Either we bought a ticket or somebody gave it to us. It doesn't matter if it's rainy or it's sunny. I have faithful Titans people in this room who will go and sit in the middle of a hailstorm if they have to to watch the Titans lose some Sunday. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm kind of going, <laughs> yeah, there you go, see? Didn't hail inside the church, did it? It doesn't matter how many times you've gone before. It's like, oh, I've gone to games before. I'm just not going to go to that game. I mean, you know, I've been to plenty of games. Or how long ago it was. I went to a game five years ago. I mean, that was, you know, I just needed to go to one game. It was fine. You're going to go, period, right? Especially if you paid the price for it. You bought a ticket and you paid the price. And the Titan ticket goes for how much nowadays? I've never been to a Titan game my whole life, so I don't even know. Give me how much a Titan ticket it runs, like a medium one. 50, 75, 100, something like that. If you're going to invest $100 and to go sit in the nosebleed, nosebleed seats probably somewhere, that's not down the 50-yard line, I'm sure. So if you're going to go, go get that ticket for 100 bucks, by God, whether your leg's falling off or not, you're going to crawl yourself out. At the Ohio State tickets, you got them in your hands, you're going to go to that game, whether you've got to drag yourself and your kid to that game no matter what. It, it was like, What? Yeah, exactly. So if you invest and you pay that price, you're going to do it. Now think about this. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that Jesus paid the price for our ticket. He gave his life for us. We were bought at a price. So how much more do we try to figure out how it is that we can best be able to honor the cost of that ticket if we would honor so much the cost of a ticket to go to a ball game or our favorite sporting event? See, inertia can sink into us like a bad habit of not going to church rather than the good habit of going to church regularly. If you get out of the habit of going to church, I've seen it for, 20, for two decades and more, you will start to lose your focus. And once you get out of the habit, it is hard to give or get back into it. It is the hardest thing to overcome the inertia of all of a sudden thinking you've reclaimed your Sunday morning. All you've done is sink yourself. I've watched folks as they've drifted away and drifted away and watch their lives begin to collapse because of not being present with the community. But see, if you make a commitment to be a part of the family, and that you're not going to miss on opportunities, take part in what happens. You want to be there. You want to see. You know, Lester comes and drags himself out of bed plenty of times when he doesn't feel good at all. He comes to see the community. Some of you are the same way. You, even when you, don't feel, when you feel horrible, you need to come to the community because the community is what lifts you up. It's what gives you strength to go on. It's talking to certain people and listening and hearing and songs and everything else that, that enables you to want to keep going on. And if you take a part in what happens, you end up with a much better track record. Because I think that we often miss the grand picture of life when we are so centered only on ourselves. That worship is about us. It's not. Worship is about us together as a community worshiping God. So each one of us plays a very vital role in doing that together. Because we forget as Christians that 
We are part of something so much larger than ourselves. All Saints Day is one of those days to remember that. There are literally millions and millions and billions of people who have come before us who we stand on the shoulders of in the Christian faith all the way back to the beginning. There is no movement that has ever lasted as long as Christianity or made so much impact and continues to do so. Sunday by Sunday, Wednesday by Wednesday, week by week, each of us is developing a habit of either being with one another or not. It's one or the other. In Hebrews 10.25, understood, the people in that day understood, and they warned us of the habit of not meeting together would cost us what it meant to be Christians. Now, there's a difference between presence and attending. And I sure wish I drew this diagram because I absolutely love this diagram. It's exactly what we've been talking about over the last year. Head, heart, hand. I don't know what's even for, but it's exactly what we've been talking about, what it means to, to give our gifts. Because you can be physically somewhere without actually being there emotionally, spiritually, or psychologically. Amen? You ever been there, right? Maybe you're right there right now. I've already lost you. You're over there somewhere in the ether somewhere. It's okay. You'll come back around. Get the app. You can read all the notes later on when you're awake. But it's only when we're really present that we can be of use to someone else. When we're only physically present somewhere, we may actually do more harm than good because the rest of us is not there to be able to meet someone where that need is. But it's a start. Sometimes, like Lester was talking about, sometimes the physical presence allows us to connect with somebody else who actually is there spiritually. And we connect through them and are able to be able to find our direction or our strength. Not all of us are going to be there all at the same time for all host different reasons. Now, so far we've been using this verse to encourage meeting together for worship, or like we do, like on Wednesday night, grow when we gather together, large group gatherings. That's one appropriate use of this verse, even though those large gatherings wouldn't be what we're talking about in Hebrews. They're all house churches. We are not to give up meeting together as a worship community on a weekly basis. That is one of our presence vows, that I'm going to be present here every week unless I am ill or out of town. And in those cases, maybe even be able to watch it. But in some way, I'm going to connect with the community in that way, is our vow together that we take. But I believe this verse is also speaking about meeting together regularly for Christian fellowship in smaller groups. Because once again, we have a one another command that's tucked away at the very end of this verse. Let us not give up meeting together, but the last part of it is, but let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. And we can only do that if we are involved in Christian discipleship as well as worship. Because worship is not that. Worship is a lot of things that that come together. But Sunday morning worship is a wonderful time to come together to worship God. But the focus is really much more on worshiping than it is discipleship. Because we all sit facing forward. We sing songs of praise and worship. We pray. We hear the preaching of God's word. We have some limited time for fellowship before and after the service or sometimes during the service like we do. Sometimes a little too long. Why? Those things are, you know, a lot of places don't even have that kind of stuff. I mean, most time nowadays, you, you walk into any of the church, go down a long hollow anywhere else, there is no time for fellowship. There's no greeting. There's no coming together. There's no birthdays and anniversaries. Those are all things, the relics of the past. Small churches and countrysides. You won't find that in any major church anymore. And yet we, we, we are so hungry for that. 
We're hungry for connection. We're hungry to talk to people and not bounce around on our phones and, and you know, text each other and everything else, but actually have live connection with people around us. But all of that focus of Sunday morning worship is more vertical than it is horizontal. That's the way it's designed. We gather together to worship God. We happen to be in the same place doing that, but it's a vertical connection. And so if we're going to fulfill these one another commands, that also means we have to get together horizontally. Because you need both. This is not a horizontal connection. Most of us are in our little silos, in our little places, stuck in our places where we sit. We may have somebody gathered around us. We may not. This side over here does not move to this side over here every Sunday. That's their side. That's where I can expect to find them. Yep, Cassie's got her claws right into the, into the right in there. I'm not getting up no matter what. You can't drag me out. But we don't. We naturally sit where we feel comfortable. You know, some of us, you know, choose our seats. We move when somebody comes in. I've never had anybody here during my time, at least. I know there was before, but say this is my pew or I'm not moving. But it's still very comfortable for us. And if everybody's gone around us, we'll still sit in the same place. Everybody else gone around us. It's very vertical. It's not horizontal. We have to meet together horizontally to grow as fully devoted followers. That means smaller group settings. More interpersonal interactions. Sitting, facing each other instead of facing forward. It means circles and not rows. That's how we grow. It's the backbone of this relational discipleship we talked about right now, this very time last year. We've been working on all year to move in this direction. We stopped talking about it, but we didn't stop working on it on the inside. For all the way through this year, we've been focused on small groups. And since that time, we, many of you have joined small groups in different ways or created your own and continue to do that. And that is amazing and it's great. And I applaud you for all the effort that's been made over this last year. There have been a lot of things that have happened. But the struggle has still been to make those small groups biblically focused around the purposes that Jesus did. Because that was the whole point. Small groups are biblically focused because Jesus did them. He did them with his three and four people. He did them with his ten and twelve, his disciples. He did them in greater ways. But those were the two groups he spent 85% of his time with, 12 people or less. And so the struggle is encouraging discipleship, not primarily fellowship. An accountable small group is not primarily about fellowship. We have those kind of groups, but they're not... They shouldn't be called accountable discipleship groups, and that's okay. Every group is important, but some groups that are more focused around that, that's not really what it means to be accountable to one another. They're not groups for counseling to fix everybody's problems because that's not really what Jesus was all about either. You're not there to be in a small group to fix somebody else. Or even outreach, although all those things are important even though we're trying desperately to, to get small groups to work together, to do serving opportunities, to find ways to connect in serving. But like last year, these are the three things that a biblically-based disciple-making small group has to have. So think about your group and, and where they're at on this. We sent out a, a scale thing to kind of send out, to kind of figure out by each group to kind of decide where they're at. Shelly, of course, got three responses out of about 30. So that's about normal for us. Thank you for everybody responding. Appreciate that. You may send out it again. I might have gotten their attention. Maybe they might fill it out this time if you send it out again. Nothing frustrates somebody more than trying to get information from people and them not responding. It really shows our attitude towards them. The first thing is this. It's a place where shepherding takes place. It's a place where shepherding takes place. And what does that mean? Ezekiel 34, 2-5 is the key verse. I'm sure everybody's looking at Ezekiel 34 all the time. It's just one of your favorite verses. But it has a lot in it because it stresses the shepherd strengthens the weak. 
the shepherd strengthens the weak. And they also heal the sick. They help with struggles. They deal with addictions. They pray and reach for those who are drifting. They encourage them to return to their spiritual family. Maybe they are hurting somewhere or are lost. Jesus was willing to leave the 99 to go out and find the one that was lost. That's what a shepherd does. That's what these groups are supposed to do. To be focused around that in that first place. Number two, they're a place where real teaching takes place. Real teaching takes place. We have C groups, which I would call classes, community groups. Those are more going, sitting down, let somebody lecture to you and and teach you about stuff, and they are good, and they are right, and we have those. But this is really a place where questioning and modeling and stories, where people can really learn to understand Scripture and then use it wisely in their lives. It's not a teacher teaching and everyone passively listening. We are so used to that in life, and most of our churches are designed around that. I will go to a class, and I will learn from a great teacher who will teach me what to do and what to believe and how to act. That's a class. It's not a small group. There's a big difference. There's three things that have to be present when you're in a place of that space of actually putting it all together. It's the Word of God along with the Spirit of God together with the people of God. The Word of God along with the Spirit of God, heart transformation, head, heart, and the people of God. Hands gathered together. Those are the primary components of affecting life change. And then three, it's a place where authenticity and accountability go hand in hand are encouraged. What does it mean to be accountable? Because I hear this word used a lot. Accountable means that you actually share things about your life in which you are trying to work through and then you hold each other accountable to doing that. You're not trying to change them. But when someone says to you in your small group and they say, you know, I'm trying to lose 20 pounds, you don't come every time and go, oh, it's okay, you haven't done anything? No, you get together and you you go, how can we encourage you? How can we help? You gave us this goal. This is your goal. This is what you want to do. I'm not going to let you give up on it. How can we help you to achieve this goal? That's accountable discipleship. How goes it with your soul? It's not how is your week. It's not, you know, what's going good for you. It is big questions like asking things like, where have you not acted like Christ this week? And then sharing that and being honest and vulnerable about it. It's asking questions like, where have you seen God this week? Where's your grow plan? Where are you trying to do better? These are accountable discipleship questions. And they can get really deep sometimes and really messy. And life gets really messy when we start opening up and sharing these things. It was the secret to the extreme growth of the Methodist church because John Wesley had three levels of organizing people. Malcolm Gladwell actually has this great quote that you'll find in your app that talks about this, and this is a blurry version because it was a screen from last year I took when I was at the National Discipleship Making Forum. But the whole point was that Wesley didn't just go around and preach. He didn't just have worship like this. His genius was going back and taking the people who gathered to hear him preach and then forming them into small groups. George Whitfield was a better preacher than John Wesley by every standard, but he never did that. And so everything he did fell apart. And he even lamented to John. He said, you are so much better at me at doing this. And that's why the Methodist movement took off and flourished. And Malcolm Malcolm Gladwell, the tipping point in his book, talks all about John Wesley of all people. There was a society corporate worship Then they would gather in weekly class meetings and small groups of mixed gender gatherings. Then there were bands, more intimate, 
same-gender gatherings to mature in the faith, what we call D-groups. If you're in a 10 to 12 kind of person group, that's a D-group. And if you're in a 3 to 4 to 5 kind of person group, that's a band. Bands are much more intensive than D-groups because you can go a lot deeper with 3 to 4 to 5 people than you can with 12 or 15 or 20. Some of our groups are way too large to even be called D-groups because you can't have 25 30 folks in a room and somehow be in small groups doesn't work that way. So what does Jesus call us to do? He motivate to motivate one another to love and good works. Are you motivating people around you to do loving acts? To do good works? Are you meeting together regularly? I mean, it's a struggle, believe me. The group that I'm in struggles between getting called away at something or forgetting about it at that moment in time and trying to figure out every week to schedule something and having to move around. At times, I just want to say, forget it. This is not even worth it. We had a streak there for four weeks, didn't we? It was four weeks we got out before we started to collapse. And now, last week, it was crazy because of trunk or treat and everything else. Now we have to get back into it. You know, over the last year, we've continued to live into discipleship. Since January, our small groups have increased exponentially. And it has changed the way that things happen around here. I've seen it. I've seen it in the maturity level of dealing with issues, of dealing with each other, of talking, of being in relationship, of every committee and every team. I've heard story upon story of life-changing things happening in smaller bands and discipleship groups. And new ones that have started again and again and again, and they meet and they walk by my door and they meet here every week and they're faithful and they're talking to each other and they're telling me all the things that happen. We want everyone who comes to the Good Shepherd to be involved in some type of biblically inspired small group besides Sunday morning worship. That is what is included in our vows of presence. Because it'll change us. And we have a responsibility to carry on the great tradition and the heritage of those who have come before us and pass it along to the next generation because we've received this glorious inheritance to be fully present. And the family of God is what it requires. Because when we get together as a church family, then we can teach each other. We can learn from each other. We can encourage each other. We can help lift each other up. I know for a fact that when my brother Lester is not here, there is a hole in my soul. He was one of the first people when I got here. He took me out. We went places. We talked. We've walked through six, going to seven years of being together. There are other folks the same way. I can't imagine what it would be like if we're not part of the community together. It's how it works. Our presence is important, not only for ourselves, but also for everyone else. You matter, and your presence here matters. Amen. So I want you to do something really strange. You're going to open up your hymnal, which you don't usually use a lot in this service. You're going to go old school. As we also incorporate All Saints Day into our time together this morning. Page 13 in the hymnal, in case you've forgotten where it might be. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is a right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth, God of Abraham and Sarah, God of Miriam and Moses, God of Joshua and Deborah, God of Ruth and David, God of the priests and the prophets, God of Mary and Joseph, God of the apostles and the martyrs, God of our mothers and our fathers, God of our children to all generations. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. 
Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ, by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection. He gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night which he gave up for us, he took the bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to you, he gave the disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so remember to these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ. We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit and us gathered here on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. And so now we're going to spend some time renewing our communion with all the saints. And we're going to spend some time listing those from the bulletin first, and then also there'll be a chance for you to be able to lift up someone that you've lost in your life this year. And just like popcorn, we'll lift them up by names and and be able to ring a bell after each one. And I will be placing a flower, a rose, for each person mentioned. And if you notice some names missing from the bulletin, that's only because they weren't members. But there were three here especially that we're going to lift up who are part of our congregation for some time. But had never joined. So let's go to the spirit of prayer as we remember these folks in the life of our congregation. Shelby Callis. James Hastings. Carl Buddy Eirich. Brent McDonald. Dorothy Miller. Keelan Farrar, Lenny Farrar, Virginia Brown, now if you would lift up names, we'd be glad to place a flower in memory of those you lift up, just lift those names up.
one last flower for all the ones maybe you can't bring into your words this morning for lost over this past year. And for all those who have gone before us to be the glorious saints of light. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we offer these people up to you, the people who have been a part of our lives and our hearts, and since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, strengthen us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to you, to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. The people of God said together, Amen. Let those coming forward to serve this morning come forward. The body of Christ broken, given in love. Come and receive this morning. Remember the saints have come before us who have done this very thing for thousands of years. That Jesus died for all of us and gave us new life. Amen.
unlike our God who would pay the price for us. Pay the price for all those that we see here, all those who have come before and every year before in the life eternal of the church. Our God who said to love one another, to gather together, who would spend 85% of his time with 12 people who would end up changing the world. Imagine if we spend time with 12 people, how we can change the world together. When we gather together in the presence of God on a Sunday morning and we gear ourselves up and we gain our strength and we're ready to go back out into the world, imagine what all of us going out together can do to change the world. There is so much more to be done in this city. There is so much more growth to happen for each one of us. Our God is a good God and a great God. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.